Hello, welcome to another moment with Eric Fleming. I am your host, Eric Fleming. Um, we're going a little bit off script today because um, I had a guest planned and something happened. So we're just going to go with the flow like we've been doing before. Because there is something that's on my mind. Uh, it's been something that I've been just privately frustrated with. Well, I say privately because I've, I've talked about this subject and I think you can understand my anger about it, my strong, passionate feeling against it. But it just, you know, I just watch it continue to manifest, right? And sometimes even glorified in a lot of the news and cultural stuff that we deal with. And so it gave me a theory about it. And so um, I, I, I guess I'll talk about my theory today. So, you know, when something is combustible or something catches on fire, a lot of times people, especially if it's in a confined space, a lot of people suggest or they tell you do not pump oxygen into the situation, right? Because if you pump oxygen, the fire will expand and spread and because fire feeds off oxygen. Right. And, you know, if you're one of those people that always question things, I mean, you can look that up. But, you know, my basic understanding of science is that fire feeds off oxygen. And so that's how it spreads, right? Or grows. So I look at white supremacy in America as this fire that has been raging and raging for over 400 plus years. And every now and then it seems like we've got it under control or we at least got it contained, right? It's just kind of like those wildfires when they happen in California or whatever. You're pouring all that water on it and you're hoping even if you can't put it out right away, just stop it from spreading, right? And keep it contained. And then eventually, you know, it'll go out when it runs out of fuel, whether it's wood or whatever. Since it's outdoors, it's got oxygen. So if it doesn't have any wood to burn anything else, you know, weather cooperates, it rains a little bit. Um, It'll shut it down, right? So over history, we have felt like, and maybe that was a false notion on our part, right? Because it felt like we had this false sense of security that at one point, the white supremacy, the mindset, or at least the spread of it was contained. It was just confined to a few folks that want to go off in the woods and shoot assault rifles on watermelons and and uh, 
don't want to buy car tags and, you know, all those kind of folks, right? We wanted to kind of narrow it down to just them and not to the very institutions that white supremacy built, right? And we hadn't really made any real um, changes into that. We hadn't really um, tried to fix a lot of the things that created this, this, this problem. So again, we thought we had it contained and, but now, but you know, certain elements there, oxygen came in the room and that oxygen spread some incredible life. Whereas now it's unleashed this, this frenzy, this frenetic behavior that's out here. Frenetic, I should say, frenetic and fanatic. I guess I was creating a word that is out here now that is, that is causing all sorts of havoc in the public discourse. And, you know, people, I mean, I don't, I don't really know how to peacefully fight it. I have, I have made suggestions. Uh, I have, engaged in the battle within the confines of the rules. But to be honest, I don't know how to peacefully end white supremacy. I don't. Um, I'm hoping that it can be a peaceful resolution. I'm hoping that we can put that fire out. And, And one of the things I think we have to figure out is how to stop giving oxygen to it, right? Now, I know that sounds complicated because if you really understand where we are, you know that everything pretty much based in America, as we embrace it and know it, whatever, white supremacy had a major role with that. And the most sinister byproduct of white supremacy was the peculiar institution known as slavery and the power that white supremacy has gained and the damage that slavery has caused has created this incredible gap that, you know, so I'll just say it'll take another 400 years to fix and all that. It really takes the will of the people to fix it. It can be a dramatic time. But it also may take generations, right? But you got to get started in doing it. But we spend more time giving this last gasp, this last little campfire. Oh, oh, let me let me be kind. Bonfire of white supremacy, this oxygen. We keep giving it life. We keep validating it. We keep allowing it to have airtime. We keep allowing it to have a presence in our politics. We keep allowing it to be normal in our everyday lives. And at some point we got to stop that. 
at some point we've got to just call it out. It doesn't, you know, and I'm, I'm at a point now where if people that are identified as white do not want to understand their role in how this society plays, whether it's privilege or whether you are direct descendants of the people who implement it, or you're part of the people who are pushing these strategies or these theories or these thoughts out here. Right. If you're, if you're, if period, if you don't want to engage even in the discussion, I'm, I'm fine with that at this point. I will continue as a human being to when there is an opportunity to reach out, when there is a chance to have a discussion, I will try to participate if I'm invited. But I am, I am really kind of over the exertion part. Right. I'm really kind of over the wooing and the uh, uh, convincing part, because to me, the facts are out there. If you want to deny facts, that's on you at this point. The, The mere presence of black people in poverty should tell you that there is a problem. Right. Even if you want to, if you don't want to take the blame for it, that's still a problem that you need to deal with. Right. As well as other folks. But, and if we decide, if black people decide that we're going to deal with our own problems, we're going to deal with the criminal element in our community. We're going to deal with poverty in our community. We're going to deal with unemployment in our community. We're going to deal with education in our community. If we decide to do that, and if you're unwilling to help, and we decide to address it, leave us alone. But see, that's the problem with white supremacy, right? It's like you want to control people to the point where they can't even just say, hey, we want to deal with this ourselves. We're going to deal with ourselves. And we think it's been unfair that we've been asking you to help us with our problems. Never mind the fact that you created our problems, but we we've come to the decision that it's unfair for us to ask you. So we're going to handle that. But the, the vileness of white supremacy is the point that <laughs> you won't even let us do that. Right. You won't even let us have our own schools without some Yahoo calling, threatening to blow them up. Right. You can't even allow us to have decent housing or, uh, I mean, just anything, whether it's, you know, a business or whatever. It's always, you always got to have your hand in it. And, you know, and, and there were two people who tried to give you an out back in the day there was there was booker t washington who basically 
told you right in Piedmont Park in Atlanta that if you let us do our thing, we'll be fine. We, we're not trying to, we don't necessarily have to ride on the same bus with you. We don't necessarily have to go to the same restaurant. If you allow us to build our own restaurants, if you allow us to create our own bus companies, let us have our little community, our little neighborhood and all that stuff, our stores, our businesses, our schools. We won't bother y'all. We'll just coexist, you know, without commingling. But you couldn't let that happen, right? But before I get into what you did to mess that up, let me give you another example. Marcus Garvey, right? Marcus Garvey had figured out a way and he created this major, major black empire or enterprise, however you want to call it, starting with the newspaper, Negro World, and then expanding it to a shipping company where he actually had purchased land, purchased ships, and was in the process of pulling African Americans away from this country and taking them back to Africa. And it was going to be more successful than the Liberia experiment, right? That happened during Ben Franklin and George Washington's day, right? It was going to be a cultural shift to the point where I probably would have been born in Africa instead of Chicago. I believe that's the impact that he would have had had he been left alone to do what he wanted and needed to do, right? But the the evil of white supremacy is that you didn't even want to let us leave. You don't want us to be in our own communities. You don't want us to set up our own thing. And if we get tired of it, you don't want us to leave. That's, that's a bad relationship, right? That's a terrible relationship. It's, you want to control us so bad that we don't have any recourse. If we say we don't want to play with you anymore, you still show up on our playground. If we say that we don't even want to be in the, in your presence anymore, you deny us from leaving. So since you ignored Booker T. Washington, he gave you an out. And you figured out a way to dismantle that, right? Whether it was massacres like in Tulsa or Rosewood or wherever other black business districts you decide to pillage and plunder based off rumors and innuendos to just creating a market where those businesses couldn't compete. Right? You figure out a way to stop us from doing our own thing. Now, 
That's not to discredit the work of people like Dr. King and A. Philip Randolph and others uh, to who sought to integrate because in a free society, I should have a choice. Either I don't want to deal with you or I can tolerate you and coexist with you. But it should be my choice as a human being. It shouldn't be imposed on me one way or the other by law or dictate or whatever. But you wouldn't even let us have that moment. So we said, okay, since you are infringing on us, then don't tell us to sit on the back of the bus. Don't tell us to go to the back of the store to get our food. Don't tell us that we have to wait to a certain time to use the dressing room that everybody else is using. Don't tell me this water fountain is off limits to me. If you're going to intrude, if you would let us be, then fine. And there's some, I can hear some people now, you know, Eastlands and all that stuff rolling around and wherever internal place they're at, you know, talking about, you know, well, that's what we were trying to do. That's what we were advocating. No, you weren't advocating that. You were advocating we know where they are so we can go get them, <laughs> not let them be, right? Because you still needed us to work because you couldn't wash your own clothes. You couldn't take care of your own kids, right? So you still needed us. You know, uh, especially our women. You know, as men, Tried to work as deaf, didn't want to pay us anything. You know, and that game's still being played today, right? And now you didn't talk black people how to do it, but that's a whole nother discussion, which we might get to later on. I got time today. But he wouldn't let us be. So then here comes his brother, right? From Jamaica. He said, you know what? We'll leave. If we are that much of a problem, if you don't like us, and this is right after just the timing of it, think it's right around the Roaring Twenties. It's right after the bloody summer where you've had all these riots in all these cities. There's tension everywhere. And black folks are frustrated. They're tired. You know, at this point, it's been, what, 300 years. They're tired. They're ready to move on. If they can't have success in the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? Then it's time to go somewhere else. But white supremacy was so controlling. She didn't even want that man to succeed in letting the black, you didn't want them to go. You don't want to live with them. You don't want, at that time, especially, you didn't want to live with them. You didn't want them to vote. You didn't want them to participate in any kind of social activity, whether it's going to church or eating. You, you, nothing. And not even riding a bus, you didn't even want them together. Going to the bathroom, drinking water. You didn't want to be around them, but you didn't want them to leave. How sick is that? How crazy is that? 
right? Didn't I have a guest come on, talk about the psychotic nature of this whole deal, right? I mean, just think about it. I am so possessive that I don't want you to have your own room and I don't want you to leave. I just want to keep you in my sight the whole time. And torment you and tease you to the point where you see what I can do and you can't do it. I can go all over the house. You can't. You're really confined to that room and maybe some other rooms at a certain time period, but you can never have the option to leave if you can't tolerate that. If these were human beings we were talking about, if this was if this was a situation where it was one human doing that to another human being, we have charges for that. Right? False imprisonment. You can go to jail for that if this was one human being to another. But what is the charge? What is the answer when a part of society does that to another part of society. In South Africa, they had it mastered where less than 5 million people control 20 or 30. Same way. They were a little more brutal with their expression, but they managed to pull that off for a while. Eventually, the whole world was watching and they had to change because also the whole world was divesting. Which gets to the oxygen part. I make the suggestion that we need to stop giving fuel to white supremacy. But one of the fuel chains is economics. And the United States is would be devastated if the world could divested us like we led the world to divest against South Africa. Right? What if people decided, yeah, we're going to divest in the United States because of the way that white supremacy has altered the landscape? What would happen? The first thing that people would say is that, well, you can't do that to the United States because it would make the conditions for people of color, especially black people, even worse. Yeah, that happened in South Africa. It sure did. There was high unemployment. There was inflation. Uh, 
but the black people understood what was happening. The, the Zulus and everybody else there got it. The natives got it. And they were determined because they had tried everything. They they had stopped negotiating a long time. They were blowing up stuff over there. They were trying to kill people to get their freedom and their respect. People were going to jail, not for misdemeanor charges. This is real. So a pinch in a wallet wasn't a big deal for them. It'd be a catastrophe over here, but that's, we'll get into that. But they made that sacrifice and they were the ones kind of encouraging it. So it worked. But can you, the, the, the sheer magnitude of even trying to do that to the United States would be I don't know. I think people would get PhDs just trying to figure out how to make that happen. Because the beauty or the terror, however you view it, is that the United States is so intertwined in everything that if you tried, other countries tried the same strategy on us that we did or led with South Africa, I don't know if the lights would be on anymore. I don't know if anything would work. So let's not really dwell on that strategy right now. But I throw it out there because I'm at a point where I'm just tired and I'll throw out anything out there to get people to start thinking this needs to end and we can't seem to stop giving oxygen right to this this problem so on the other side i want to finish up this thought, this rant, if you will, this frustrated thing, because I don't want people to get issues confused with control. And yeah, so let's, we'll talk about that on the other side. And so we're back and I, I, I left off with a point that we need to stop confusing issues with control. So what do I mean by that? So I mean that in a public debate, in public discourse, we can have ideas and we can raise issues and we can debate them in a pure sense. 
But what we also need to figure out as we watch the national discourse happen is who's raising these issues and what their motivation for raising the issues are. Some issues naturally have merit and politicians take advantage of those natural developing occurrences. But when you see things that you can obviously tell are manufactured, that they have no basis in any level of concern or anxiety that, you know, they're trying to create a sense of urgency, if you will, right? They're, they're trying to create this sense of urgency for something that literally a couple of months ago wasn't even relevant or in our radar. If a health official does it, that's a good thing because that means, oh, there's some virus going around or some health condition we weren't aware of. Okay. But certain issues that come up, it's all part of a control game. And that's what fuels the oxygen, right? Because the people, if you understand the dynamics of how white supremacy is successful. Then you know that there's a select few who create a hysterical mass to carry out their agenda. Now, that's not in the concept of Illuminati or whatever. I mean, you just go to a country club. <laughs> you, ain't, you ain't got, there's no secret hiding place. There's no, well, you know, at Harvard and Yale, they got these secret societies. But I'm, I'm seriously, you could go to the Glee Club meeting. You can go to different spots where people of the same mindset hang out. And they do what they do. And if you've if you've watched somebody who's trained in a sport or an art form like ballet, they do certain things naturally after developing that skill set. It's the same thing with control. If you've grown up in that environment, if you've lived in that society, if you've been trained by the best that could train you to exert control over the masses of people, whether it's at your corporation or at the Capitol building, you can, you don't, you, you can do it out in the open. You ain't gotta be no super fancy names group that meets in these, you know, plus they, they tell you where they meet. If you think that there is such a thing, there is such a place where they go to Davos. All the, the richest businessmen in, in the world show up in Davos once a year to discuss things, right? But then there's other places too. There's other think tank retreats 
hangouts, whatever. But a lot of times, you know, it'd be a neighborhood barbershop, the diner, the gym, wherever. Wherever people that have a certain mindset, you know, gather, then they can discuss things and they can figure out things. And and then we look at them and say, well, ooh, who hatched that up? You know what I'm saying? Ideas are being hatched up over. So there's not like this one central spot, but there is this one central philosophy and there is this one central goal, and that is to continue white supremacy in America. But if you could, it would be easy if we knew they all met in the secret location. <laughs> we would go through hell and high water with the technology we have now to find that secret location and blow it to smithereens when all of them were there, right? Just like how we used to surveil the, the mobsters and whoever, how we surveil the drug dealers. We want all of them in one spot so we can get them all arrested or take them out, however you want to do it. But white supremacy is more sophisticated because it's more ingrained. And to say it's in the DNA may not be scientifically accurate, but metaphorically, when you see how easy people navigate through it and how easy things can be said to trigger things. So let me just like, for example, critical race theory. There are a lot of people that have gone to law school, have gotten their law degrees, never even heard of it, didn't even know what that was, right? And we just talking about black people. We ain't talking about the white folks, right? It's just black people didn't even know until all of a sudden this conversation started coming up about teaching children the truth about American history. And so somebody who was smart enough to say, hey, look, so there's this college class, was really a law school class that teaches critical race theory that shows how white supremacy is involved in all institutions, right? So what if we just tell parents, what if we just go out there and tell people that they're trying to teach this to little kids? How would they respond to that? And most parents, trying to teach something that's supposed to be taught at a college level to a seven-year-old, they're going to have some concerns. I won't say freak out like we're saying now, but they're going to have some concerns on any subject. But when you put race into it, it's a trigger, right? And it's, and it's fascinating that we watch how triggers happen. White supremacy is so good that it could tell a white woman 
she can have an abortion, can tell two gay people that they can't get married, and then flip it around and say, you can't tell me to wear a mask. Now you got all three of those factions pissed off, but there's one group that made that happen. And they make that happen because as long as there's disarray, as long as there's conflict, they can control the narrative, divide and conquer, right? But the toughest job, once you have conquered anything, is to stay on top, is to stay in control. Because the normal order of things is that once you have won, then somebody is going to come along over time and defeat you. And so on and so forth. Even if that enemy is time, (laughs) something's going to come along to end that reign that you have. Because nothing on this earth lasts forever. Nothing. So the quest of white supremacy in America, the ultimate goal has always been to defy time. We are in the worst or greatest, it depends on what side of it you're on, experiment in societal history in the globe. How long can white supremacy rule? All of this is is just the culmination of this grand thing. How long can we keep getting the fuel that we need? How long can we keep getting the oxygen that we need to make this institution last forever because no other theory has been there and every basically almost every theory has been tainted by that right it's been tainted by control that a certain group of people want to maintain. And when they look at certain other parts of the world and they act like they're disengaged or they don't really trust them or whatever, it's because they don't have that control that they want. So that's why in the continent of Africa that they used to have control in, you see a lot of disarray Nobody really wants to help. Everybody's trying to, within that continent, make it on their own. You don't hear a whole lot of news coming from there because it's not in the interest of maintaining the control that they need here. It's an old strategy that goes back to when Thomas Jefferson was president and Haiti became an independent nation the United States wouldn't recognize it because it did not want to give those who were enslaved here the idea that they actually could be free, that they could defeat an army. 
if they so choose. Right? They didn't want to give them inspiration for insurrection or rebellion. So that mindset is still out there. That's why we don't see a whole lot of news about Africa. Now, unless it's something dire, like 50,000 people died or there's a famine going on. It has to be some kind of extreme, like the worst volcanic eruption ever. Something has to happen dramatic for us to keep up with what's going on with the countries there and what's going on there. because it's not in the best interest of white supremacy to highlight black independence. Simple, right? So we distract you with your own poverty, your own crime, your own levels of incarceration, your own uh, increase funding of the police, but decrease funding in public schools and mental health institutions. And people <laughs> come up with a lot of this stuff. And so a lot of times there are people who innocently, and I say innocent, with air quotes, but instantly come up with theories about how to do stuff. But if you're wired a certain way, if you're educated a certain way, if you're programmed a certain way, you're going to spit out certain results and certain results are going to inherently be detrimental to people that are not like you. Even if your intentions are good. So yes, it works both ways, but here's the, crazy thing the people of color are not in power power they have political power they have the ability to acquire more political power but the real power in the United States is economic we don't have that definitely not black folk we got a lot of rich black folks and we got a lot of wealthy black folk but we don't have economic power we gain individual wealth and we gain control over things but very few of us can have fortune 500 companies we can be the richest individuals on the Forbes list we're not controlling what we need to control. And if you study the history of all these different companies and and you see how that tight-knit family, you can trace it back a lot of times to the Industrial Revolution in the North or slavery in the South. Those families have held on to that. And when they make the companies public, they lose control over that, but not really. Because 
you started the company, you always gonna have a seat at the table. Ask Steve Jobs that. So we 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 live in this incredible dichotomy society where we have so much that we enjoy, whether it's a park or a baseball game or music or movie, whatever, barbecuing, boat riding. We do a lot of things to entertain ourselves, to give us joy. Even going to church or just hanging out with your parents or whatever. You do things to give yourself as a human being enjoyment. And you have opportunities to do all that here. Because to be successful in controlling the masses, you can't you can't just be gloomy gusts with them. They have to fulfill human emotion. But the minute that the endorphins are kicking in and, and everybody's happy and they're laid back, you got to get them back in their place. So you throw out issues, you create issues, and you create controversy, and you create dilemmas that don't need to be there to continue to put just enough angst in so you can intervene and have control. You know, if a sinkhole shows up in the middle of the street, city has to respond. Those are those that's an issue that you have to respond to. That's not man created. That's a natural disaster that has happened. You have to respond to that. But it's a totally different thing if you plant a bomb there and you set the bomb off to go at a certain time and then try to sell it, that it was a sinkhole. Now you've manufactured that disaster. And, and that's what people do when they want to maintain control. They manufacture disasters. They do that. And it's hard to try to navigate to highlight that because people get caught up in the wind and the storm and the disaster itself and not looking at the root cause of it. And as we continue to get caught up in the symptoms, we'll never figure out how to attack the virus. So that's that's where we are that's that's the challenge we have to ending white supremacy in our time because it's so layered and so intertwined in everything not just in in this country or in every household but it's everything throughout the world and it's not an original american concept either it's a global concept
but we can't continue to let it do what it's been doing. At some point, we have to show that even time can defeat white supremacy. That it, it's run its course. But we, if we just go about our daily lives and just keep our heads down and try to just make it, they win. Not asking everybody to be a revolutionary, but then again, I am. <laughs> because you don't have to be the one out with the bullhorn or the podcast or the TV show, but you ain't got to be that person. You ain't got to be the leader, but you got to do something. You got to stop buying into certain things. You got to believe that your self-worth is much more than any man can place on you. You have to believe that every human life is important. And what you do should be for the gain of not only your life and your family's life, but for society as a whole, because whatever you're working on should be beneficial to everybody. I don't care if you're putting icing on a cake. Somebody's going to enjoy that cake. I hope. The only way that we can dampen the hold that white supremacy has on us is for us to take our lives back. Is for us to take our intelligence back. Is up to us to take our dignity back and not allow certain things to trigger us. If we take if we take our intelligence back. Right, our claim, our right to intelligence. A lot of these things wouldn't bother us. They wouldn't, you know, somebody just got an opinion. And, you know, we'll we'll talk about it and we'll vote or we'll deal with the issue accordingly. And calm rational matter. You want to park your truck and block a bridge because you don't want to wear a mask? We'll deal with that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just like they dealt with black folks storming the beaches down there in, in Biloxi. You know? We didn't close the beach. We just wanted to participate in it. You know? But these folks feel that they... and. And if you really want to, if you don't really quite understand what I've been talking about, pay attention to what's been going on with Russia and Ukraine. If you feel that Ukraine is being unfairly treated, that here is this country that used to rule over them, now trying to reclaim them, and they've got them surrounded and they're doing all this posturing. They're trying to blame the Ukrainians for all this stuff. And you, and and you see how they're lining up people. How the the good people are being 
pushed to the side or being ignored, but but all the, the, the bad people are lining up with them, right? And you see all of that international dynamic happening. All the people that want to see the United States fail, they're all ganging up to try to take out this poor country, Ukraine, who has nothing to do with us, right? These people, all they want to do is just live their lives. All these people want to do is just be their own autonomous nation. They don't want to be bullied by this authoritarian dude. If that's the way you feel, which I think the majority of Americans claim they feel that way, then replace Ukraine with black people and replace Putin and Russia with white supremacy. And now you get it, or you should get it. Because that's the way we have felt. And it seems like all the forces are lining up against us. And those voices that rose up against that are either ignored or taken away. And there'll be some folks, well, you're just, your situation is just, it is exactly the same. I don't care how many PhDs you have. I don't care if you went to Harvard, Yale, and Princeton. That example is relevant to black people and white supremacy in America, period. We want to be our own folks in the world stage. And you support too many people that want to deny us. One person is bad enough, let alone a whole group of them, whether it's you identify as a political party or a political ideology, however you want to frame it. too many of them in positions maintaining oppressive behavior. And, and there's a, a saying that says that, well, it was talking about privilege. And it's like, he said, people are so accustomed to privilege that equality is considered oppression, right? That's how Russia is treating Ukraine. Ukraine wants to be its own independent nation, but Russia who had the privilege of ruling over Ukraine for generations, feels as though that's a problem for them, that that's, that's going to be a major issue for you. That's just a thorn sticking out there. And that's what, that's what white supremacy has done with us. So let's think, just think about that. And if that Ukraine, Russia situation is really bothering you, you change the actors to black people and white supremacy, 
maybe you'll react now the way that you've been reacting to this Russia-Ukraine situation. And maybe white supremacy will finally end. Until next time.